Hey there, everyone. This week, we're going to be talking about Peter's question where he suggests buying or creating one company to operate an operating business and having another company to operate the building or to own the building. Hey there, I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, where we discuss buying, selling, and running privately owned businesses while managing risk. So if you're looking to make your own way in life by being a business owner, or you're looking to grow or exit the business that you've already got, you've come to the right place. So let's uh, let's explore Peter's question. Now, Peter was watching a video I made a couple of years ago, um, which is which was called Why Aren't Millennials Buying Main Street Businesses from Baby Boomers? And in that video, I did a breakdown and analysis of a news article that was talking about why um, you know millennials weren't stepping up to buy businesses from these boomers that wanted to retire. And I kind of showed just from publicly available information uh, what the likely scenario was for the business at hand, which was an, a hardware store located in a downtown place. And so in that video, um, which there's probably a link to here if you're watching on YouTube, um, in that video, I, I broke down why we have to do a normalization when we analyze a business, especially if we have a corporation, for example, that owns the business and the real estate together, because we've got two dissimilar assets mixed together in one company. And if we look at them together, we don't get a clear view of what's really happening with both of our investments, our investment in the real estate and our investment in the business. Now, Peter left a comment saying, when buying a business with real estate, how about creating another company that owns a real estate? Then the first company the operating business can pay rent to the second real estate company. Um, that's a structure that you know I see all over the place actually. And so uh, just the other day, uh, we had Scott Smith on from Royal Legal Solutions who talked about asset protection and it's common in an asset protection strategy to want to have your real estate in a different corporate entity than the operating business. But but here's the here's the reason why you often don't see it, why why these things are commingled a lot a lot of the time, is that often when people are buying the business or if somebody owns a business and they want to grow or acquire their own property, um, a lot of the times when they get down to talk to their banker, the different government programs that allow for higher leverage greater loans uh, on the real estate usually require that the building be within the company. It's got to be an asset of the company that the company is using to run the business. So here in Canada, for example, if you went to a bank and you owned a business that wanted to buy a building, they would use the Canada Small Business Finance Act program. You could have up to a 90% loan. Whereas if you, if you weren't buying it within the operating business, the banker would want you to do a more standard loan, which may mean that they're only going to finance 65% of the building or 60%, for example. Same thing in the States. Um, if you were buying that property, your banker might want to use an SBA program that could allow a much higher percentage of loan against the building over a longer term than if you were just buying it independently as an investment, they might want you to put a bigger down payment. And so this is how real estate ends up within these companies. And then once they're together, well, then there's an expense and a process dealing with accountants and title and everything to then remove them later. So, and then we never know if the long-term success of the business is going to be such that it's worth the investment to make those moves as far as our assets. And so what I often see is businesses will carry on for many years until they reach a certain point where a reorganization uh, using the help of CPAs and attorneys and stuff makes sense. Uh, when we know the long-term success of the enterprise is, is likely going to succeed. So, but from the point of view of understanding whether or not your investments and your efforts are making sense, we don't strictly have to have different 
ownerships. We just have to have um, what I'm going to call a small business investor mentality. So in um, Mike Gerber's famous book, E-Myth Revisited, he talks about two different types of uh, business owners. He talks about entrepreneurs and he talks about technicians. The technicians being people that know a certain trade or skill and they get into that business. So this is where your auto mechanic becomes the owner of a repair shop. Um, and then he talks about entrepreneurs, people who really see a need in the marketplace and go about trying to create uh, a business that's going to satisfy that demand. I would argue that there's another category. Um, and this I'm going to call the small business investor or the private business investor, where it's a person who looks at their various assets um, that they have involved in the business and they keep reviewing whether or not these different things make sense and they keep trying to ensure that they're getting the proper rate of return. So if you owned a business that also owned its real estate, you know, when you're looking at your financial statements, it's very easy just to say, hey, if I were leasing this space, what would I be paying? And what impact would that have on the performance of my company? Now you can identify if you're getting an adequate profit or rate of return on the operational side of the business. Um, I had a conversation just recently with a business broker who was dealing with uh, a gentleman who was trying to sell their business. And, and th this is the unfortunate situation I described in that video about boomers and millennials is that the owner of this business owned the real estate and they thought that this gave them a competitive advantage because they said, you know, my cost structure is lower because I own my real estate that allows me to win more contracts. That, that point of view is faulty and here's why. What the business owner had done is he had invested his own money into this building. And then because he wasn't paying rent, he believed his cost structure was lower. In actual fact, um, his investment in the real estate wasn't earning him any rate of return. So he was underbidding his competitors to get contracts. And what that meant was, is that the money he should have been putting in his pocket as a real estate investor, he was instead handing to his customers. He was subsidizing their acquisition of his services through his willingness not to get a rate of return on the building. What then does that mean? Well, it means that he's ended up with a business that has a clientele of price shoppers. So these people are entirely motivated by the price that they're paying. That brings into question how loyal they are. Um, if they're only coming to him because he's got the lowest price, uh, then it means that he's basically setting up a foundation of a very fragile business. If anything were to happen to cause his rates to have to go up, like a new owner coming in, having to pay finance, costs and debt service, then that clientele may not be very sticky. So once we normalized the financial statement for that business and we added a rent, there really was no profit, which means there really isn't much of goodwill. The value in his business was simply in the building and the equipment. And that makes sense, right? Because he built a business based on offering the lowest price and he got a bunch of clients who are looking for the lowest price, who are the least sticky clients and he's ended up with a business worth very little. So you see how all of this stuff is related. If you're going to be investing in different things within your business, you need to make sure that you're making a proper rate of return on those different things. And it's not limited to real estate. So let me give you an example. Um, within any kind of company, you could have a, a, a major piece of capital equipment. So I've been to businesses before where they will have something like a forklift that's used very infrequently. And so one of the questions you might have is, is there any way to get the use of a forklift without actually having to be its owner? 
Does it make more sense to rent one occasionally if you need to use one from time to time? Does it make sense to make a deal with a neighboring business that might already own one? Maybe you could pay you know, a time sharing arrangement. The term time sharing comes from back in the days when computers were very expensive and people used to rent time on them. And so one computer would exist and many companies would rent certain blocks of time to do their data processing on the computer. Well, you could do the same thing with an expensive piece of capital equipment or you and a neighboring business could buy a forklift together. I'm just using forklift as an example, but you get the idea. On the opposite end of the scale, sometimes we own a piece of equipment where it doesn't make financial sense to own it, but it's still a critical thing that we have to have because if we don't have it, it can cause other problems in the business. So some trucking companies, for example, will get to the, a certain size where they'll want to have their own tow truck, for example, so that they can respond immediately to go out if there's some kind of problem with one of their rigs to avoid the cascading effects of schedules being delayed and all that kind of thing. That tr tow truck may sit idle a lot of the time, but it's considered a strategic asset because of the cost of, of being delayed could be substantial to the business. Flip side, uh, let me give you an example of a great investment in a piece of capital equipment. My father-in-law's auto repair shop, um, you know, in the wintertime, they would normally have to pay someone to do snow removal. Well, they're an auto repair business. So what did they do? They found an old pickup truck that was at the end of its life that they could keep going. It wasn't roadworthy. It could never have a license plate or be inspected for the road. But as long as they kept it on their own property, they could use it. So they put a plow on it and plow their own snow. Right. And, you know, what does that mean for them? Well, they save a couple thousand dollars a year in snow removal charges, but the entire truck costs less than that. So as long as it keeps rolling, it proves to be a good investment in a piece of capital equipment. That's an extreme example. So when you own a business, you want to have this investor mentality where you examine every major thing that you've got going in your business and you think, am I making an adequate rate of return on this? Does it make sense for me to own this myself? Does it make more sense for me to rent it from time to time if I only need it occasionally? And when it comes to something like real estate, just make your own normalized financial statement. Just take what your accountant or bookkeeper prepares, put in a rent figure, and then you have to make a decision. Because in Peter's question, he says, what happens if you own both of these companies? Let me pose a question to you. If you owned both of these companies and your operating business was failing to make its rent payment, would you have the courage to kick them out? They're your own business, right? And so if you're going to have this investor mentality, you also have to have the discipline that comes with it to know when it doesn't make sense to keep operating that operating business. There's a, a family business around here, and I know one of the owners in passing, I've spoken with them from time to time, but they're in that scenario. They own a bunch of apartment buildings and commercial properties, and they were a restaurant operator for many years in one of their properties that is ideally a restaurant. But they were very aware that their restaurant business wasn't making an adequate rate of return to cover the rent on the location. So they were actively trying to find a new tenant the entire time they were operating the business with the intention of just simply closing the restaurant to rent it out to someone else when they found the ideal tenant that they felt was a secure long-term bet for a lease. And that's exactly what they did. And that's the discipline that is forced upon you when you start to look at these different assets as though they were their individual investments that require an adequate rate of return.
hope that answers your question, Peter. And I hope everyone else got something good out of that. And um, please remember, if you haven't already, um, head over to davidcbarnettlist.com where you can sign up for my email list. And um, there, I'll put it up on the screen for everyone to see. I don't know why it's not coming up. There we go. No, I don't know. There we are. And um, <clears throat> and if you're thinking about buying a business and you want to control risk and do it in a smart way, head on over to businessbuyeradvantage.com. It's the place where you can learn about my different business buyer programs, my online course, Business Buyer Advantage, and my coaching program, Business Buyer Adventure, where you can work with me several times a month in a group setting to discuss the deals you're working on, help with your deal flow, help with negotiating. And uh, as of today, there's over 100 meetings recorded new members get to enjoy the collected wisdom of everyone over the last three years that have been meeting on a regular basis, as well as many other perks, which of course you can learn at over at businessbuyeradventure.com. We'll see you later and thanks. And uh, don't forget to hit like, subscribe, etc. All that stuff helps me out on YouTube or LinkedIn or whatever platform you happen to be watching on. Talk to you soon. Bye.